About a year ago, we finished up the final episode in a Bible Threads series called True Crimes Bible Edition. Now, in the last 12 months, I can tell you that I have received more positive feedback on this series than any other Bible Threads series. But I also received some constructive criticism. I got questions like, why wasn't Judas Iscariot included in the series? He was the worst criminal of all. That's a fair point. Or what about Joseph's brothers when they sold him into slavery? They were slave traders. Another fair point. The reality is that there are many more crimes on the pages of the Bible that I could have included. So, today we're beginning a new series, which is really the continuation of an old series. It's called True Crimes Bible Edition 2. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. Throughout this series, we'll continue to investigate crimes committed by people we learn about in the Bible. We'll explore the who, what, and why of each crime. But more importantly, we want to learn how the Lord God responded to each of these crimes, as well as what we can learn from them. Does God respond to these crimes with judgment or mercy? It all depends on the criminal and the crime. So let's get started. In the original True Crimes Bible Edition series, there was an episode dealing with the crimes committed by King David, followed by an episode that investigated the crimes committed by the members of David's family. We're going to look at something similar in this series. For the first three episodes, we'll explore three unrelated crimes committed by the family of the patriarch Jacob. Recall that Jacob was Isaac's son and Abraham's grandson. Jacob lived in the ballpark of the 1700s BC, 700 years before King David. In this first episode, we want to investigate a rather complicated crime that had a few sordid twists and turns. It's not the most familiar crime in the Bible, but it's one that reveals the total depravity of the human heart. We'll start with a crime committed against Jacob's only daughter, Dinah, and then we'll investigate the crimes committed by Jacob's sons, especially two of them, in retaliation for the crime committed against Dinah. But before we get to the actual crimes, I want to share the backstory because it helps us understand the history, geography, and culture in which these crimes were committed. The patriarch Jacob had 13 children, 12 sons, and one daughter. These children were born to Jacob's two wives, Leah and Rachel, and their respective servants, Billa and Zilpah, Rachel was the mother of the youngest two, Joseph and Benjamin. 
Bila and Zilpah gave birth to two sons each. Leah, therefore, gave birth to the other six sons and to daughter Dinah. Dinah was Leah's youngest child and the third youngest of Jacob's thirteen children. Genesis chapter 34 begins, Now Dinah, the daughter Leah had borne to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. So, who were the women and what was the land? We're not told exactly who these women were, but the land was known as the land of Canaan. Now, this needs a bit of explanation. The phrase land of Canaan is used two different ways in the Old Testament. The more common way referred to the entire piece of Middle Eastern real estate that the Lord God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. The land of Canaan bordered the Mediterranean Sea on the west, from Lebanon in the north to the northeast corner of Egypt in the south. The eastern border of the land of Canaan was the area along the Jordan River that flowed from the Sea of Galilee in the north to the Dead Sea in the south. Today, this piece of real estate is primarily the country of Israel, along with the small country of Lebanon and parts of Jordan and Syria. The less common way the phrase land of Canaan is used in the Bible refers to a specific tribe living in the land of Canaan, a tribe known as the Canaanites. Yeah, I know, it can be a little confusing. This individual Canaanite tribe inhabited both the Mediterranean seashore and the Jordan River Valley regions. So where did all the tribes that lived in the land of Canaan come from? By the way, the tribes that lived in the land of Canaan are mentioned more than 150 times in the Old Testament. Well, their ancestry line goes all the way back to Noah. The Bible tells us that Noah had three sons, Japheth, Seth, and the youngest son named Ham. Ham had a son named Canaan. Now, in Genesis chapter 9, we learn that the Lord God cursed both Ham and his son Canaan because they seemed to delight in the shame of their father and grandfather Noah, who one day was lying naked in a drunken stupor inside his tent. By the way, Noah repented of his sin. Canaan did not. The descendants of Canaan migrated to and inhabited the land that would become known as the land of Canaan. Canaan's descendants were the tribes who lived there, namely the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Arkites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. All of these tribes are mentioned in the Old Testament. Remember when Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, the land of Canaan? These were the tribes that the Lord God told the Israelites to drive out of the land. Two of the reasons were because all of these tribes were known both for their violent fierceness and their moral depravity. Go figure. Their ancestors, Ham and Canaan, were also known for their moral depravity. Back to our story. What follows next indicates that the women whom Dinah went out to visit lived in or near to the town of Shechem. Now, Jacob and his clan lived in Hebron, 
a town located about 24 miles south of Jerusalem. Now, just an interesting side story. The town of Hebron was also known as Kiriath Arba, meaning the town of Arba. Arba was a resident of the town who had a famous son and three grandsons who are mentioned in Numbers chapter 13. They were famous because they were giants, Goliath-sized people. There were giants in the land. So where was Shechem in relationship to Jacob's homestead in Hebron? Well, Shechem was about 50 miles north of Hebron. Now, there's a connection between the family home in Hebron and the city of Shechem. You see, the pasture land near Shechem was one of the places that Jacob and his sons grazed their flocks. We know that from Genesis chapter 37. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, a.k.a. Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. By the way, it was on this visit that Joseph's arrogance and his amazing technicolor dream coat got him sold into slavery. But more on that in our next episode. So why did Dinah go to Shechem? To see her father and brothers? Apparently not, because the Bible tells us that she went there to visit the women of the land. These would have been pagan women, Canaanite women. Some Bible historians surmise that she wanted to explore the prevailing culture, maybe to attend a pagan festival or to see the local sites. Perhaps, but the Bible doesn't tell us. Well, that's the backstory. Keep it in mind as we investigate the crimes at Shechem. The first crime committed against Dinah was a brutal rape. The Bible tells us when Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. The Hebrew word indicates that the rape was a violent act intended to humiliate Dinah. Perhaps because she was an Israelite? Perhaps because she likely was only a teenager? Again, the Bible doesn't give us those details. We just don't know. What we do know is that the name of this lowlife was Shechem, who lived in the city of Shechem, and whose father was the ruler of Shechem. I sure hope I'm not confusing you. Now, there's a bit of a side story here as well. When Jacob had returned to the promised land from working for his uncle Laban for 20 years, he was reunited with his brother Esau. After that reconciliation took place, we learn that Jacob arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. Now, the next part is really important. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. So the pasture land where Jacob and his sons grazed their flocks was owned by Jacob. Jacob had purchased the land from Hamor's sons, one of whom was Shechem, a man who would one day rape his only daughter. Hamor's son, Shechem, had grown up in a culture of power-grabbing selfishness and sexual depravity. 
and Shechem acted out his perverted morality when he met Dinah. But then listen to what the Bible says next. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, Get me this girl as my wife. I'm not buying it. You're telling me Shechem wanted to marry her because he loved her just after raping her? Really? As a pagan, could Shechem even tell the difference between love and lust? Sure, he desired Dinah as his wife, but what was his motive? Now, some of my skepticism comes from the fact that the Hebrew word used here can simply mean like, love, or desire. It can either be love that is unselfishly pure or love that is selfishly impure. In other words, love or lust. Which one do you think it was? What happens next raises a few questions about Jacob. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing about it until they came home. This was a heinous crime committed against Jacob's only daughter, and he does nothing? He just waits until his sons return from the fields? Why? Was it because of his age? Jacob by this time would have been over a hundred years old. Was it because he had already passed the mantle of leadership for the clan to his sons? We just don't know. But the story continues. Then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they had heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Hamar, and remember he's the ruler in charge of the city, made a very generous offer to Jacob in exchange for Dinah becoming his son's bride. He offered the right for Jacob's clan to intermarry with the Canaanites, something the Lord God had forbidden for his chosen people. Hamor also offered Jacob's clan the right to engage in commerce with the Canaanite people. In contrast, the Lord God had told his people to drive out the Canaanites, not assimilate into their culture or to do business with them. And then Shechem himself makes a very generous offer. Name your price for the bride and I'll pay it. As we learn later, this statement infuriated Dinah's brothers. They understood what Shechem was saying as an equivalent to, what's the price for this prostitute? 
There is so much wrong with Hamor's and Shechem's proposal for Jacob and his sons for them even to consider it. But they did. And with the seeds of revenge already sprouting up in their hearts, because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Jacob's sons were absolutely right to say, We can't give our sister to you because you are a Canaanite. And they should have stopped right there. But they then go on and use circumcision, something that indicated that the Israelites were the Lord God's chosen people. They used circumcision as a bargaining chip in the negotiation for their sister Dinah and their future relationship with the Canaanite people. Jacob's sons made a counterproposal that violated God's will for his people. And it was also motivated by revenge. Their proposal, though, seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man, who was the most honored of all his father's family, lost no time in doing what they said, because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the men of their city. The proposal made by Jacob's sons didn't just require Hamor and Shechem to be circumcised, but all of the males living in the city of Shechem. So Hamor and Shechem went to speak to the men of the city. They needed to sell this idea of circumcision for every male, and I would think it's a hard sell. They offered three arguments in favor of doing this. Number one, Jacob's clan is peaceful. They're friendly toward us. Number two, there's plenty of real estate available for them to live in the area. And number three, they are quite wealthy with large herds, which will eventually become ours. The third argument revealed Hamor's and Shechem's own deceit. Their plan was to assimilate Jacob's clan into the Canaanite culture. You know, for whatever reason, this reminds me of the Borg from the Star Trek The Next Generation television series. The Borg were one of the enemies of the Starfleet. They assimilated their conquered foes into what was called the Collective and reminded them resistance is futile. It just goes to show that wanting to assimilate people into your culture is nothing new under the sun. Well, do you know what? All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. So step one in the plan proposed by Jacob's son was now complete. Step two of the plan unfolded within days. This was it. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, 
two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. Step 3 followed shortly thereafter. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Hatred. Anger. Deceit. Revenge. Inflicting pain. Murder. And plunder. They were all aspects of the crimes that Jacob's sons perpetuated against the people of Shechem. I get that it was retaliation for Shechem raping their sister, but the Lord God had also told his covenant people, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near. Revenge is not a right that God's people possess. Revenge belongs to God alone, according to His timetable, and to accomplish His purposes. After the bloodbath in the city of Shechem was over, Jacob came to Simeon and Levi and said, You have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number. And if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? And so the story ends. Multiple crimes committed by multiple people, both by pagans and by the chosen ones of God. Jacob never forgot this incident. Near the end of his life, he called his sons together, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Here's what Jacob said to Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. When it came to the division of the land of Canaan, neither Simeon or Levi received a portion of the land of Canaan. All Simeon received was a dozen and a half cities located within the tribe of Judah. And over the decades to come, Simeon's descendants would lose their individual identity and become part of the tribe of Judah. And Levi? Levi's descendants became the temple workers and were scattered throughout Israel, living in 48 different cities. Simeon and Levi were dispersed because of their murderous crimes against the men of Shechem. Kind of a hopeless and discouraging situation for them don't you think? Thankfully, even Simeon and Levi could find hope in what Jacob said next to Judah. He said, The scepter will not depart from Judah, 
nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations will be his. These words were a promise of a future king who would bring forgiveness and hope to a fallen world. The king would be God's son, Jesus the Christ. So are there any takeaways for us from the crimes committed at Shechem? A big one for me is that we need to take the Lord God seriously and what he says seriously. And related to that is when you aren't in alignment with God's will, which he reveals to us in his word, bad things can and will happen. If and when they do, we also need to remember the one promise to Judah, the king who left his throne in heaven to come to this earth. He came to do what we couldn't, namely to be in perfect alignment with God's will and to restore us to a perfect relationship with our God through his death on the cross and his resurrection on Easter morning. This story tells us, thank God for Jesus. True Crimes, Bible Edition 2. The crimes committed at Shechem were sad and sordid. They happened because people were not following God's will for their lives, neither the pagan Shechem nor God's own. In our next episode, we'll investigate another heinous crime committed by Jacob's sons. This one was against their own brother. If you have any comments or questions regarding this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.